Thanks, Austin. I am very relieved right now. I had a moment of panic thinking my notes were not up here. And they are. And I'm not a guy who can do sort of the stream of consciousness sermon, so. Um, good to see you. Welcome to Solid Rock. Thank you for joining us uh, on this first Sunday of Advent. A couple of months ago, I set out to curate a Spotify playlist, uh, an Advent playlist that emphasized the work of waiting involved in Advent, one that I could share with family and friends. Um, unfortunately, today I have nothing to show for it. There is a playlist, but it has like four songs. I didn't make it very far into that process because one of the first songs I added was a song called Waiting Room by Fugazi, which un unfortunately, which is not an Advent song, by the way. Unfortunately, that sent me down a multi-day, unplanned rabbit trail exploring early punk rock from the late 80s, So, which is largely irrelevant to what we're talking about today, except for the fact that we are talking about the task of waiting involved in Advent. And maybe there's also a reminder in there that distraction can be one of the greatest impediments to proper waiting. But today we begin a new year. I know we've just entered the month of December. We have an entire month ahead of us before we say goodbye to 2023, but the church begins together a new year today. And we begin this new year, as we begin every new year, we begin with a sense of waiting, this season of Advent. If you're unfamiliar with the rhythms of the church calendar or unfamiliar with the season of Advent in particular, this might seem like a counterintuitive way to begin another year because culturally we typically begin new years with celebrations. Think of the festivities on December 31st, parties that maybe culminate in fireworks and toasts and those strange plastic glasses where you peer through the outline numbers of the new year. It is celebration. It's joy, it's excitement at the prospect of something new. The church, though, begins the year a little differently. We begin with a season of longing, of angst, of waiting and expectation, which can be challenging for me. Maybe you identify with that because most of us probably don't enjoy waiting all that much. I don't need to list the many ways in which this is true, but the immediacy of the 21st century has formed us in such a way where not only do we not like to wait, but we expect not to. And I fear that because of that malformation, we often don't have the appropriate tools that enable proper, faithful waiting. Now, it wasn't always like that. I remember having a, a pen pal in grade school, a friend I met while on a trip in Costa Rica, and we would write letters back and forth. I would send a letter and then begin counting down the days to when I could reasonably expect a letter in return. And when we hit that point in the calendar, I would start rushing home after school to see if I had a letter that had arrived. But that is a thing of the past. We just don't have many scenarios where that type of waiting is required, and when it is, it's uncomfortable. 
It's hard. And yet, waiting is perhaps one of the most natural things that we do as the people of God. It is a part of who we are. God's people always have been, and until the return of Christ, always will be a people who wait. This is central to the Christian faith, a story about a God who doesn't typically function according to our preferred timeline. We could think of some of the key players in the story. It all begins with waiting with Abraham and Sarah. They receive a promise of innumerable descendants. And then they must wait a long time before any of those promises seem even remotely possible. You have to have one descendant before you can have many. Or we might think of Joseph, who waits over a decade for the promises he received to be realized. Or the people of Israel, in slavery, crying out to God for deliverance and Then later, waiting in the wilderness before entering the promised land, still later waiting to return from exile. And then, of course, just before the great Christmas story, waiting again in perceived silence 400 years before Christ arrives. This is our story. We are a people who wait. Of course, we're not alone as people of faith in in waiting. There are some forms of waiting that are common to all humans. We, We all know what it is to wait in line. Maybe we all know what it is to wait in line for somebody writing a check in front of us in the year 2023. Or to wait for seasons to change. Or to wait for the birth of a child. Or an upcoming vacation that won't arrive soon enough. Waiting is, of course, a shared human experience, but there are also unique ways we wait as people of faith. Most notably, we are waiting for God to act in our day. This has been true throughout the story of God's people. Of course, most notably, in Israel's longing for her coming Messiah. And that is one of the things we are Doing during the Advent season, we sort of reenact Israel's wait and longing for the coming Messiah. For the four Sundays prior to Christmas, we wait in sort of that commemorative fashion, remembering Israel's longing and expectation. But there is also a type of waiting for us today as followers of Jesus that isn't commemorative, but very real and and active. As God's people, until Christ returns, we will always be in a posture of waiting. The Christian life exists in that place of deferred hope. There's something that we're longing for and expecting to arrive that isn't quite here, at least not in its entirety. But today we see, I think, Paul hint at this fact at the very beginning of our reading from the epistles appointed to today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the beginning of this letter Paul is writing. I'll read through the first few verses. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. 
grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Maybe this seems like an odd text for the Advent season, but one thing I think we might draw our attention to at the beginning of this letter The entire letter that Paul is writing is framed in terms of waiting. Verse 7, so you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul opens this letter to the church in Corinth by giving thanks to God because of the grace that was given them in Jesus Christ, a grace that enriches them in all speech and knowledge and also sustains them in that hope, blesses them with every gift they need while they wait. Everything that follows is all, it is all based in the reality that the church will be a people who wait, and as such, they must be prepared, preparing their hearts to do just that and to do it faithfully. The expectation of early Christians was that the life they were entering in Jesus Christ involved waiting. It is a central task in Christian faith because we believe that Jesus will return. This is a part of the great mystery of our faith. We confess it together every week at our midweek prayer service. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Our job is not to get tied up in in trying to predict or think about timing, to speculate on timing issues with that return. Our task is to simply prepare our hearts and to learn to wait well. And a part of learning to wait well, in my view, is training ourselves to remember that the wait is important. That the wait is not a futile endeavor. It's not a waiting in despair as though we doubt very seriously that these promises will come to pass or that the wait will be fruitful in any meaningful sense. We might be tempted to adopt that mindset, but Paul assures us, even in the, the beginning of this letter, that we have a certain hope with which we wait. That God is and always will be faithful. And Jesus will sustain us in the season of waiting until the end. And so we wait. And we do so with great expectation. Trusting that the wait is meaningful. So we don't resign ourselves to apathy or annoyance or anger because we've been forced to wait. We trust that a work is being done in us while we wait. We trust that God's plan is reliable and his timing is perfect. And the wait is not wasted. But there is something being done in our hearts and minds 
as we wait. So even though our world is constantly screaming at us, no, waiting is a thing of the past. This is the 21st century. We don't have to wait, and you shouldn't be forced to wait for anything. We have fast food. We have fast fashion. We, I mean, we have Fast and the Furious like 17 at this point. We have prime shipping. This is not a sponsored ad, although I'm not opposed to that, if you're listening, and I know you are. While everything in our world is insisting that we don't have to wait for anything, our faith actually says, no, that's, that's not true. This is central to who you are. You are a waiting people, and we are encouraged to learn to wait well. Jen Wilkin put it this way. She said, worldly wisdom is this. Waiting is an evil to eliminate. Godly wisdom, waiting is a virtue to cultivate. Christianity is, by definition, a religion of delayed gratification. How we wait will mark us as sojourners and strangers in an instant gratification world. I want to turn our attention now to the text appointed to today from the prophets, which was our scripture reading from Isaiah 64. And I think as we consider this text, though we're, we're separated from the historical context of that text by thousands of years, I think we might find some important tasks involved in Israel's waiting in faithfulness, that, so, some principles that are important for us to consider today as well, principles that I think hold true for us as we also seek to wrestle with that question, how do we Wait faithfully for the appearing of our Lord. So just a bit of context from that text we considered earlier. Of course, Isaiah is one of the most well-known of the Hebrew prophets. A prophet who pronounces both judgment and hope, as most prophetic utterances do. But essentially, Isaiah says to the people of Israel, Look, because of your sin and rebellion, especially among your leadership, but because of that sin and rebellion, God's judgment is coming. Of course, first that comes through Assyria and then later Babylon. But Jerusalem and, and the glory and pride, everything the people of Israel had achieved, we are told, was, was going to crumble. It was all about to crash and burn. So the first half of Isaiah predicts Israel falling, especially to Babylon, which happens roughly 100 years later. But then we find the tone shift, and we find a word of great hope for redemption and restoration. The hope that a new Jerusalem would be established after judgment. The Messiah would usher in a new kingdom, and this new kingdom would be one where people from everywhere are invited to join and experience the beauty of God's promises. And then, as we reach Isaiah 64, our text for today, we find here a prayer of longing for just that. A prayer of longing for the restoration, for the rescue, for the hope of the new kingdom the Messiah would usher in. And I think in the first few verses we discover perhaps an appropriate posture of waiting 
for the people of Israel, one that we might learn from as well. Verse 1 said this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. I think we're going to come back in a couple of weeks and explore the latter half of that text, but what I want to encourage you to draw your attention to today, this prayer of expectation actually begins with what seems to be a sense of disappointment. It begins with that, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And I wonder if that is not just said with an eye to the future, but maybe also an eye to the past as well. If you had come down, maybe our plight would be different. You could have swallowed up our adversaries like fire quickly destroys twigs. Where were you? And where are you now? If you would act, the world would know who our God is and what our God is like. Of course, we also see hints at the reality in this prayer that God had been present all along. In all of it, God was working, even when the people of Israel felt like God was absent. There was, there's an acknowledgement that maybe there was a purgative effect of judgment that was refining God's people, drawing their hearts back to him. We see an acknowledgement in verse 3. While you did awesome things, we didn't notice. You were, you were coming down, you were acting, you were present. We weren't looking for you. And then at the end of verse 4, the prayer affirms that despite all of the trouble we faced, despite our sin and rebellion, despite your apparent absence, we believe and trust that you are faithful. We trust that you are a God who acts for people who wait for him. I think the question the people had to wrestle with, the question that maybe you and I need to wrestle with today, are we willing to wait for the promises of God? Andrew Root said this. He said, we can never control the arrival of the epiphany. We just have to wait, which he says something late capitalism hates. But while waiting... We can form ourselves and be formed by others to take on the practices of waiting and discovering the words needed to give testimony to the arrival of Epiphany. This is, in my opinion, a part of the Advent season, what it is all about. We, we enter Advent with an eye to the past reenacting, identifying with the oft-waiting people of God. We do so with an eye to the present moment, waiting. We do so with an eye to the future, waiting for the return of Christ. 
A part of expectant waiting for followers of Jesus involves looking for the ways in which Jesus is also arriving today. Ways in which he is breaking into the present already, even as we continue to look to the future and wait for his return. We wait with an eye to the past. We wait with an eye to the future. We also wait with an eye to this moment. So with that in mind, I want to, as we begin to wrap this up, I want to do two things. I want to first offer a word of hope and then also a challenge. So first, the, the word of hope. If you find yourself, maybe even today, discouraged because it seems like God's promises remain unfulfilled in your life, I would say first, be encouraged to know that you are in good company. All followers of Jesus, we share in that longing. And we do so even with creation itself, groaning in eager expectation. So know that you're in good company, but maybe more importantly, you can be sure, you can trust that God is faithful. You can trust that Christ's promises will come to pass, so keep hope. When everything around you is feeding you the lie that if you're not seeing the result immediately, then it's probably time to move on. As Christians, we resist that. We cling to hope, even when the promise looks or feels or seems impossible. Now for the word of challenge. Malcolm Geit, who's an English poet and priest, suggested that the advent of Christ is, is happening even today. It's happening all around us. It's happening in us and through us. He, he said this. He said, there are many other advents. Didn't Jesus say, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age? Didn't Jesus say, and our minds are taken back to last week's gospel text, whatever you did to the least of these, you did it unto me. Didn't Jesus say, this is my body, this is my blood. In our encounters with the poor and the stranger, in the mystery of the sacraments, in those unexpected moments of transfiguration, surely there is also an advent and Christ comes to us. In these ways, the advent of Christ might just be closer than we think, closer than we could dare imagine. Of course, there's a significant distinction between the advent, the second advent of Christ, the, the return of Jesus, when God's reign and rule will once and for all be established and perfect justice instituted. But we are reminded throughout our scriptures that there are signposts all around us. And in part, the season of Advent reminds us to open our eyes and look for those signposts. Where is Christ at work and active and present today? We are learning together. Year after year, Advent season after Advent season, we are learning how to wait well. So as you enter this season, 
as we enter this season together, this ritual of, of waiting, may we learn how to remain faithful, how to do the real work of waiting in our lives. A, a few things to remember for that process. Number one, waiting is not always a sign of failure, and waiting is not a sign of God's absence. God is always present. Even when our circumstances would convince us otherwise, God is present and active and his promises are true. He can be trusted. And remember this, that while we wait, it is not a waiting room, it is not a wasted time, but there is always a work to be done in our hearts and our minds. So we approach any season of waiting with an eye toward our formation. We look for the appearing of Christ. If we don't wait expectantly, we may miss the work he is doing in us. So our prayer, Christ, we, we ask that you would open our eyes. Increase our awareness of your presence and your activity. Help us to be patient. Enable us to wait well. Sustain us in hope. Make us full of expectation as we look to the horizon for your appearing. Lord, I pray that we would be grounded in your faithfulness today. Encourage those who are discouraged. Challenge those areas of complacency within our hearts. We open ourselves, our minds, our hearts to the work of your spirit in this moment. Do a work in our hearts. If you'd stand. <clears throat> We're going to gather around the table of our Lord. I'm going to say a prayer by way of invitation. Then we'll make two lines down these center aisles. When you get to the front, you'll hear the words spoken over you. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal 
through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Would you join us as we celebrate around the table of our Lord today?